Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's race week. It's been a long old summer break, but we hope we've kept you going over it and there's still been a fair bit to talk about. But the good news is we have a race to preview. The first of the double headers in Austria, along with all the usual shenanigans. My name is Harry Benjamin, Keith Hewin and Pete McLaren here as always. And on the show this week, we are indeed previewing all things Austria with Keith's Insider's Guide. Cal Crutchlow's return to racing action, a little bit on track limits perhaps as well. Rider transfer gossip is still happening. There's some more news potentially with vr46 in the pipeline your questions answered and should moto gp review the current technical freeze so as usual a lot to get through let's get started keith pete always a pleasure to see your faces on a monday afternoon let's start with the big news of course heavily speculated last week uh, that cal crutchlow would be making a return to replace uh, franco morbidelli for patronus yamaha keith that has now been confirmed and he will be back for both austria and silverstone yeah i mean it's the only way really if i was cal i'd want to have at least a couple of rounds before i got to silverstone that kind of pressure is a bit too much even for the likes of cal crutchlow he's a tough tough guy but having spent this much time off a bike, not in competition as well, that's a big ask to step back to this level of competition, the, the, the hotbed that is MotoGP. Everybody within thousands of a second, it's going to be a tough ask for Cal. So two rounds at the Red Bull ring is good for him. Moving on to Silverstone where he's gone well before. Um, he's on a bike that he likes. It's a bike that works well for him in the past. I can see something. I mean, I suppose... The, big and all the cynics and all your trolls and everyone else have already been on the case about oh he'll throw it up the road oh i hope they've got big budget for damage and all the rest of it yeah he probably will throw it up the road because that's what happens when you're so close to the edge when you are competitive and you still want it if he throws it up the road don't criticize him for that that's what he's going to be he's going to be trying to go as fast as he possibly can in the shortest possible time that's a big deal when you're dealing with motor gp and the kind of class that we're dealing with in that class so it's good luck, yeah. Cal. Good to see you back. And um, glad you've got three rounds to um, re-establish yourself. Well, that's the thing, isn't it, Pete? He's got to re-establish himself a little bit because although, you know, he was snapped up by Yamaha as a test rider pretty much straight away after he retired um, and has had a testing schedule in place. But because of all the COVID restrictions and things like that, you know, he hasn't had the most amount of testing I think he would have liked. I think anybody coming into then race would have liked. And especially, I think uh, the last bit of testing did was pre-season testing. So uh, he declined the offer to uh, come in um, a little earlier on when they had Garrett Gerloff. So... 
it's going to be a tough ask no matter what especially for this first one but what what is doable as you say harry i mean you know he's been off the bike a long time he's gonna to have to get up to speed with it also let's remember he's on morbidelli's bike which is not the factory spec bike it's it's you know we've seen morbidelli has been very vocal this year with some of the difficulties especially top speed that this bike has so you know i think cal realistically he's going to need to learn about the bike again the tire allocation um it's going to help his test riding a lot. It's a bit similar with what we've been saying with Danny Pedrosa, who's also making his comeback this weekend. You know, they're, they're both saying this is going to help their test riding duties a great deal. Being, there's nothing like being out there in a race weekend with, all, you know, all the pressure, everything going on. It's fine doing, let's say, a short run, three or four laps, coming into the pits, back out again. But when you have to put a big, long race together, that's when you really understand what you need from a bike. So I think, you know, it's going to help. It's what Cal needs. He needs time on the bike. You know, he, he recognises he can't, as Keith said, you can't spend that long off the bike. You know, this is MotoGP, there's nothing like it. And you need to be on track. You know, you can't take a lot of time off and then think you can jump back on and everything will be as it was. So he will build up to it, but he's got two back-to-back races, um, three races, as we say. The, the one question mark is that, that Frankie's not due back until Mizano. Well, that's four races. So we don't quite know what's going to happen at Aragon, which is the race after Silverstone and before Mizano. So whether whether Cal might be persuaded to stay on or do they have someone else in mind for that, we don't know. But yeah, I think it's great for Yamaha. I think it's great for MotoGP to have Cal back and, and Danny Pedrosa. It just adds something for this weekend to two big names. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing him on track. Top 10s of both of them, in my view. I think um, the question is uh, how much they want it. Uh, Cal will want it. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, Danny, I don't know. He's a superb rider and he knows the KTM really, really well and Red Bull Ring likewise. It's a home track, isn't it, at the end of the day for the Austrians. So they're going to be going good. But of course, you know, they're still on the same bikes as they were on last year, effectively. The old technical freeze has, um, has done uh, done them no favours regarding that. Um, but with that, you get a get-out-of-jail-free card, don't you, really? If, it's, if Cal doesn't perform quite as well as maybe some people would hope or expect, then he's on Morbidelli's old bike, um, you know, righty, 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 righty. So there's a, a nice instant little excuse line there for everyone to write about uh, at the end of the first week. You know, expectations are going to be high for Cal, but you can't underline it enough, double underline how tough this class is. You don't come back, jump in, into that hotbed and be a top five finisher. It's, it's, it's virtually impossible. It can happen, of course, weather depends and so on and so forth. But I just can't see it, especially as you've already said, you know, that's not the fastest Yamaha out there. It's not the fastest motorbike out there. And we're about to hit one of the fastest tracks out there. You know, you need to be able to drag that thing down that straight like a Ducati, like a KTM. Uh, Be interesting. I wonder what's in their minds. I wonder what they're thinking, their expectations. It'd be wonderful to know what Danny's thinking or Cal for that matter, what his, their personal expectation is. If only we knew. Well, that's the thing I wanted to, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the thing I wanted to ask, actually, because, I mean, team principal Raslan Mazzali said, you know, there are no real targets in place for, for Cal, especially. We're just going to see how he fares. And I know he obviously retired, but is there something in him that you think, if it goes particularly well, he gets the taste of it again? As you say, this year especially, it is ultra competitive. Nothing is quite like MotoGP. If things go well... Do you think Cal might suddenly get a taste to try and maybe come back? No. But Keith already completely shutting me down. No, I just, I can't. I, he's a family man. He's done his bit. He's won Grand Prix. He's moved into an age bracket now where when you take a little bit of time off, you lose a bit of edge. There is no doubt about that. That is going to be happening as well. 
Um, he will have struggled with not racing. That's a fact. Everyone does. Doesn't matter what level you're at. When you've dedicated your entire life since childhood to going as fast as you can, thinking in thousands of a second throughout every minute of your life, you know, even when you sat still doing whatever you're doing, you're thinking about thousands of a second and how you can trim things off here or be better at that or be better at this. That's that's the the nature of any sportsman in any sport, particularly in uh, in power sports like ours. Um, and that will have gone a little bit. That will have jaded. That would have you know, degraded very slightly for Cal and for Danny as well. Test riders aren't the same. You know, you go round and round and round and round and round. I, I, I could never do it. I was asked after I retired, would I like to do um, test riding? Would I like to do this for one Dunlop, for one uh, tyre company or another? And it would drive me insane. Trying to motivate yourself to push to the edge every single lap for 100 laps a day or whatever it might have been. Um, crazy stuff. I think Cal's done. I think he, he will relish this opportunity and it will be like a test for him as well. It'll be something where he can test himself. He's a competitor. So when he comes back, he'll, he'll see just what he's capable of doing after having this amount of layoff. But coming back full time, I don't think so. I think he's comfortable. He's, he's a millionaire. He's you know young family. Uh, I think he's very happy with himself and he's made the right decision in the circumstances. Would you want to step back in amongst all these axe murderers and have to stand up against them full time? Not sure about that. <laughs> Not really, no. Um, well, all right then. That's uh, going to be something to watch, though, this weekend for sure. Carl Crutchlow, we've already discussed, of course, Danny Pedrosa coming in. Two big names, really exciting, especially after the long summer break we've all had to endure. So it's going to be nice to have uh, have some few uh, old and uh, fresh, old fresh faces returning. Um, on the other side of that garage, though, sits Valentino Rossi. And Pete, there's a little bit of uh, murmuring coming out about VR46 at the moment, isn't there? With uh, some sort of press conference being held at some point this week it all seems rather vague <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that's I will leave it there <laughs> I mean <laughs> obviously the big announcement there's quite a few announcements that actually we're still waiting for isn't there you know Ralph Fernandez to KTM you know what's Vinales doing Aprilia you know, there's a lot of announcements that haven't happened that we're expecting sometime during the summer break you know, that doesn't mean that they won't happen in the next few days it, sort of makes sense in the run-up to Austria. But, of course, the biggest one is what will Rossi do next year? And, you know, there's been nothing so far, but we now have this press release from from Tanel, which, you know, is this Saudi Arabian company that, you know, set up this deal with Aramco to sponsor the VR46 team next year. They've, they've got a press conference in the next few days. Um, and it's going to be all about motorsport in Saudi Arabia in general, but also it says there'll be a special emphasis on this five-year deal that they've got with VR46, which is not just MotoGP, it's MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3, and the Italian CIV series, they say. So it's a, it's a big money deal. We already know the Saudi prince, he made quite clear in that press release of all things, saying it would be fantastic to have Rossi riding for the team next year. So it's interesting because that tells us at least what his hopes, his expectations maybe are for the rider lineup. Now, you know, where does that leave Rossi? Now, the, to be clear, there's nothing in this press release that says there's going to be any riders announced at this press conference. But at the same time, people putting two and two together, it's the summer break. It's when Rossi said he would make a decision and, and we have this press conference announced. So we'll have to wait and see what comes out. But yeah, I mean, the Prince has made clear he'd like Rossi. You know, if he doesn't have Rossi, the, the, the gossip is, if you like, who who will they accept? Will that play a role in, in the amount of sponsorship that, they, that they're doing, the levels of money? Who knows? 
think the money deal must be done. I mean, that, that, that's just you know, nuts and bolts. I'm fairly sure that they will have already done that. And, and, and I can't imagine Valentino uh, backing himself into an alley that he's got to ride because of the amount of money that's coming over. Um, Alessio Salucci, Uccio, better known as, in the paddock, who manages really the, the Moto2, Moto3 side of things and, and many other things. He's, he's best mates with Valentino for, for donkey's years, since school days. He's kind of intimated that Valentino will be riding next year. Um, you can't always trust, sorry, Pete, you can't always trust what um, some of the, um, uh, the internet journalists um, come up with because sometimes the old clickbait job gets done, doesn't it? Let's, um, let's just cast that out there and click, 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 click. Oh, we've done good this week. Um, so I, I, I'm sorry for being slightly cynical on, on some of the, that material, but Alessio Salucci has seemed to have passed on the fact that, that Valentino uh, may ride next year. Now, whether that's, you know, occasional rides, wild cards, whatever, maybe it'll take a wild card type situation. Um, you know, you can imagine trackside, people would want that because, you know, people are going to come through the gate to watch it. So it, it has a, a, a great financial angle to it as well. But I just can't see Valentino doing another year. It doesn't make sense to me. I understand where, I love the ladder thing, CIV, the Italian championship is the equivalent of the CEV, which is the junior world championship through uh, Spain, which is where Dorna are based, obviously the, the owners of the, the sport. Um, CIV is a slightly lesser recognized uh, ladder, but it's still a ladder nonetheless. Intermoto 3, Moto 2, Moto GP. You know, these are all things that fit in really well with Valentino's academy um, and, and, the, and the log jam of talent that, that the VR46 academy has, has already got in line for. I mean, it's almost a nightmare of, of talent, isn't it? There's too much talent now. It used to be the other way. You couldn't find you know, riders that were potentially going to be world champions. Now it's everywhere in every class, all over the bloody place in national championships as well. So it's a fantastic um, bonfire of, of, of wonderful talent. Um, and people like VR46 as an academy are, are well placed for feeding a ladder like that. And obviously the Saudis are well placed for funding a ladder like that. Um, will Valentino ride again? I, I would suggest probably in a wildcard situation, perhaps. I can't see him doing a full-time year. Can you? Can you really? Uh, I mean, linked to this, let's say, is also the future of Marco Bezzecchi, who's a VR46 rider in Moto2, as we know. Now, we have mentioned before that he's a potential candidate at Petroma's Yamaha. Now, this was even before Vinales then, as we know, made another room, a space free at, at Yamaha. So it seems like he... We spoke last week about how Petronas, they keep mentioning young riders and, you know, the superbike Yamaha guys are signed up. It seems like that's the direction they want to go in is these Moto2 guys. So, you know, if, if there's no room for Bezeki at VR46 for whatever reason, whether it's Rossi or someone else, you know, it seems like he would certainly be a candidate at Petronas. He would fit that profile of an up-and-coming young riding star. There's, there's not that many available outside of Remy Gardner, and Ralph Fernandez that KTM have already booked up. So, you know, there's a lot of things being tied in. Just to sort of confirm that if you, VR46, they usually go with their own academy riders. They've always been very loyal to just promoting within their academy system. Now, the guys in MotoGP at the moment, obviously Rossi, but Morbidelli he is, a, is an academy rider. They're most successful first world champion, you know, Moto2 for them. Banyaya then won the, the Moto2 title for the VR46 team. Uh, and Marini. So they've got those guys at the moment. Just just to confirm, kind of Bastianini and 
Digi Antonio, who's joining MotoGP next year, they're not members of the VR46 Academy. So if they are just looking for academy riders, those guys won't fit that bill. Um, so there's a lot connected with what Rossi's going to do, you know, at several different teams. Um, but we're starting to get a bit of an idea. We, it looks more like Petronas are going to bet again on a kind of, they're trying to, will try and replicate the success they had with Quattararo and Morbidelli in that kind of first couple of years. That's that's kind of the direction they'll probably go in rather than going for established names. Looks like Morbidelli will probably now take the place of Vinales. So they could go with an all, all new lineup at, at Petronas. And then, yeah, who's alongside Marini? Well, maybe this press conference will clear it up. Maybe it won't. The other thing we've got to take into account as well is those guys are going to be party to what developments are going on for next year. Concessions, you know, okay, concessions, who's had concessions this year are brilliant. But there's been a, a, a technological freeze over the last 18 months. Fact of the matter will be, you're going to want to know what the manufacturer you're tying yourself to is going to be producing and at what level of production that's going to be. Because it takes six, nine months to get the production line worked out for what you're developing. So there are going to be some bikes next year that are going to be greater developed than others. I mean, within manufacturers, that is. So if you've got a Yamaha, four, four Yamahas, you're probably only going to have one or two of them that are going to be next year's generation. And that then you could find yourself on old bikes in a situation this year where old bikes have been about on par with the brand new ones. You know, the, 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 because of the freeze, nothing has leapt forward. Now, it's my experience, having ridden for works bikes before, works, works teams, factory teams before, is that Sometimes you'll get a new factory bike and it will be shite. It will not be anything like what you're expecting from it. It will handle badly. It will, because as soon as you add a little bit more power, it changes the characteristics of the way the bike handles. So therefore you're looking for everything else. You've got, you know, there's so many things that have got to line up to make a racing motorcycle a winning weapon. Um, and that is going to be something that a lot of the teams are going to be looking at. What are Ducati producing for next year? when this freeze is over, if this freeze is over. Again, I haven't heard that it's definitely going to be finished. I mean, it's supposed to be, but will they add another year to it? You know, everybody's funding is, is in dire straits at the moment. You know, promoters' funding is in dire straits. Teams' funding is in dire straits. Everyone's had to chuck the kitchen sink at it financially to actually get over this pandemic. And we're not over it yet. You know, maybe there'll be a situation where Dorna and the Teams Association will decide that, okay, we'll, we'll keep the freeze for another another period of time. I don't think so, personally. I think that, that it will be over by the end of this year. But And there will be a lot of developments that have been going on back in the factories. But if you were a betting man, you'd have to be pretty smart to be able to come up with the right odds for next year. You know, within actual factories, let alone across the, the MotoGP board of manufacturers, I think we are in for a very exciting year next year. You know, off air a minute ago, Pete, we were talking about it, weren't we? That, that you know, next year, are we going to get gaps in the MotoGP field? Are, are suddenly riders going to have, or, or teams, have an advantage over another team? Right now, there's, there's thousands of a second between them across all, all different types of layouts and configurations. We all come to almost the same lap time at the end of it. And that's been great. And next year, when all that technology is thrown back into the mix, are we going to have a slightly more spread out field? I wonder. The situation, as you say, between year old bikes and brand new bikes, that, that's going to be the big question mark because a year old bike next year 
we'll actually have an engine from the start of 2020, mm. won't it? Because that was where the freeze started. So people will be finishing the end of the 2022 season with an engine that was frozen at the start of 2020 if they're not on the latest bike, if they're just on a one-year-old bike. So as you say, Keith, maybe if the newer bike doesn't work, that, that might not be the end of the world. On the other hand, people might be a bit more cautious about accepting a year-old bike than they would be normally if there wasn't the freeze. It's a great pot, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It just needs a big old stir. <laughs> That's what you're there for, Keith. Yes, I know. Well, you imagine being a Prillia then. They've had, they've had concessions, so they've been able to develop their bike throughout all this time, and they've only just caught up. You imagine next year everyone's stepped forward. Poor old Aprilia. They might be having a bigger struggle than they've had recently, if you think about it. I wonder who's going to be dark. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Aprilia as well, isn't it? What's the latest on um, the perfume salesman? How's he getting along? The man that Aprilia have been waiting for for so long. <laughs> Andrea. <laughs> you know me. Is he coming back? Is anything happening? Have we heard any more from behind um, the scenes regarding him? I've seen lots I, of I, pictures of him with his, you know, girlfriends and, and various social events. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, his Instagram is 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 like Instagram should be, um, absolutely full of bling. Um, I can't answer that question, Pete. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, not. I mean, it seems like he's exhausted all of the you know, the options for appeals. I mean, as far as we know, once this, this final decision was made with this ban, that, that seems to be it. And He didn't sell yeah. them. He didn't give them all perfume then and try to, to get them around on that particular. Stick to the Instagram. What a waste of talent. What a waste of talent, you know, Nate. Absolutely. There was a man capable of winning a world title. He had that basic talent. Anyway, we move away from the current thing. Well, it's just me being mischievous over in Well, You know, actually, I just wanted to... Um, we're sort of darting all over the place a little bit because you brought us up to speed with um, the technical freeze. But I just... I wanted to go back ever so slightly on something you said about the influx of talent that we have coming through at the moment, which is... It's it's amazing, really. Look at... We've been we've spoken so much about the ladder KTM have created as well. Uh, and obviously with VR46, we mentioned there. Is there a danger that there's going to be a few that fall by the wayside? Because there's so Always. many, but not enough opportunities. The problem you have is, I, I think of it as the Jake Dixon syndrome. Jake Dixon would have been out of there after the first year. Um, luckily, and by good management, uh, Frankie Carcetti, his, his, his manager at that time, did a good job of keeping him in that job for the following year. And he progressed into being potentially a Moto2 winner. Um, otherwise, he'd have been let go. And I think I wonder often how much talent like the Jake Dixons of this world have had one year at it and been let go and not achieved. I think Quattararo is another good example. Quattararo said it so many times, only won one race officially up to his MotoGP ride. Now, if he hadn't, if Razlan Rosali and the brand new team hadn't taken a punt on Quattararo, and it was a punt, I don't care what anybody says, nobody's that smart that they could have seen what Quattararo was capable of when he came through Moto2. If he hadn't been given that punt, he wouldn't be anywhere. He'd be still in Moto2. And yet here he is, and he might have only been a you know, a top three. He might have been a podium finisher often in Moto2, but would he have been a world champion in Moto2? He might not have been. And here he is now vying for the world title in MotoGP because the Sepang International Circuit team the, the, you know, gave him that opportunity on brand new bikes in a brand new setup, it wasn't six months old 
when they started running. I mean, they hadn't even got the premises to put the bikes in at one point. I mean, it's a fantastic story. It really, really is a, a remarkable story. But it gets back to the point that you made there, Harry. You know, have there been a few people overlooked? I think so, yeah. And I think there will be. It's going to be down to some really swift management um, to, to try and put them in the right place. You know, as it happened, again, the Jake Dixon syndrome, if you like, is that Dorna, everybody wanted a British rider in those classes. You know, suddenly the Brits were dropping off the edge of the, the cliff with, with talent. We, were, we lost Bradley Smith, you know, rah, rah. Um, so they wanted somebody like Jake Dixon to, to go forward. So they were prepared to make financial concessions for Jake to put him in place, to put him in play. Um, Dorna do manipulate that situation quite often uh, when they need a rider from a certain market. It's not just about who the talent is, it's about the marketplace that they come from and which particular countries have those you know, nationalities and, and racetracks in. It's all about you know, the business side of things as much as it is about the sporting side of things. Um, so you, know, you go back to Jeremy McWilliams is a good example. Jeremy McWilliams, a fine rider, but pretty much sponsored by Dorna and, and co to keep him in the game mm. because we hadn't got anybody at that time that was capable at the front end of a, a MotoGP field. Good old Jezza. I'll tell you what, if he weren't, if he weren't above 50 now, he'd still be trying to have a go. <laughs> <laughs> the cutoff, by the way, for that is 50 years old. You can't, God, you can't yeah. be a MotoGP after 50. Oh, wow. Uh, you're done. <laughs> it, it, great rider, yeah. great personality, great guy. But and but as you said, there's going to be a couple of, of innocent victims who you know may have the, the the raw pace. But if you don't have that overall package, which includes the right management, being in the right place at the right time, it, you really can fall foul of it, can't you? Well, you can. Where do they go? That's my question as well. I mean, it's it's where does that talent go to? You know, like it it hasn't proved to work too well in World Superbike for some of them, or Super Sport, if you like, which is even lower league. You know, Efren Vasquez is like a favourite of mine from Moto Three. Efren Vasquez. Good old T-Rex, as Jack Miller called him, you know, plenty of bite, but short arms. <laughs> Always amused me. Because <laughs> he couldn't break it, because he had short arms, it meant he couldn't push his weight back over the pipes into the braking area. So he was as aggressive as hell. But yeah. anyway, that's another story altogether. Efren Vazquez was a world title contender. Where is he now? You know, there are people that you can, you can go through lists of them. In the past, I'm sure our, our viewers, our listeners will um, will come up with lots of names that, um, that 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 they can think of their particular favourites that haven't made it, and not because they don't have talent, but because the opportunity didn't arise for them to to carry them forward, um, and that's become more focused. I think Harry, to to get back to your question, is I think that's more of the case now than it's ever been because of the amount of talent, well managed talent that there is out there. Okay. And I think just, just adding slightly to that, Keith, is that sometimes riders turn down MotoGP rides. And you, 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 so it's equally, you look back and you think, if, they, if they'd have accepted that, that really could have made the difference. So it's a, it's a, you, know, you can fall by the wayside, if you like, on either side of the corner. You might never get the chance, or you might turn down the chance because you don't think it's good enough and it might ruin your career. It's always a gamble, isn't it? And we saw guys turn down the Aprilia last year, you know, uh, Joe Roberts being one of them you know, on the assumption that they wanted to do better in Moto2 this year and, and things like that. There's been other guys in the past, Baldessari, I remember, had an amazing start to a Moto2 season one year and was being linked to a satellite Ducati ride, and, you know, and then it, it, the results tailed off and that was it. Danny Kent, I remember, was when he was dominating Moto3 that year, you know, Pramac Ducati was speaking about doing a Jack Miller, weren't they, Keith? Um, and moving him straight to MotoGP. I mean, that, that's the level of talent that they saw. 
in Danny. They thought that he could do a bit like Jack had done. And, and you know, he opted to go to Moto2, the sensible decision again, and the MotoGP opportunity never arrived. So it, it's so difficult in that you can you can be wrong on, on both accounts. You can you can never get the chance or you can, you know, decide that if I take that chance, things will be worse when actually, as Quattararo in some ways proved, you, you know, if you get that chance in MotoGP, it's so different to the other classes that you can never exactly predict who's going to really shine when they get on that that such a special unique bike and i think you know for me i always think well you know at least if you give it a go i know sam lowe's had a difficult time at aprilia but at least you know you tried and you you put yourself out there and you, you rode the bike you know you don't you don't have that when you get to the end of your career thinking what, what if i'd have taken that chance you know what, what might i have done you know maybe the bike wasn't that good but what if it was a wet race where i just because usually the top teams if there's a young guy coming up even a fastest lap, you know, if they see a guy, I remember Alicia Spargo quite early in his career, he, he, he had a really good, um, I think he was second fastest lap in a race. And that really made people sort of sit up and go, hang on, this guy's, you know, this guy's quick. And, and you can almost, if you just make that one impression, speed wise is what everyone's looking for. And, and this is perhaps where some of us fear things went wrong for Johnny Ray was that teams didn't seem to appreciate that he did the solid job at Repsol Honda and, and what the team maybe wanted and brought the points home. They're, they're always looking for that, you know, lightning speed, uh, you know, more than anything, I think, when they make their decisions. And, you know, sometimes you can be too conservative and, and do, what, you know, bring the bike home, shall we say, when perhaps for your career, what you need is just to, you know, show that you've got that lightning speed that people want. The, the Casey Stoner being the clearest example of when Ducati went, there's a guy that in his rookie year on the LCR Honda, okay, he fell a lot, but he was unbelievably fast. And they, they were confident, look, you know, if he stops falling, they're not going to stop him. And that's exactly what happened the following year in 2007. So I think it's, it's so difficult to know what a rider is going to do, a young rider, until they get to MotoGP. And as you say, it's hard to get the opportunities. And sometimes it can be hard when you have opportunities to know whether to take them or not. Alessio Spargo is a great example. He's still biting the screen and still giving that one lap fast time, isn't he? So he's still impressing on that front. Danny Kent, good example there of Danny Kent. I mean, he's been in the wilderness for two years. He's only just got on the podium at British Superbikes this weekend. His first podium in BSB was this weekend just gone. So congratulations to Danny. And the point I think both of you were making, if it hadn't been for Stuart Hicken, basically Suzuki, giving him an opportunity here in the UK, he wouldn't have arrived. No one had faith in him to do anything. An ex-world champion. You don't, your talent doesn't disappear completely unless you've had a bang on the head or there's been some injury or something along those lines that's, that's really dragged you, dragged you down for some reason or another. So Danny Kent is still a very fast rider, but that opportunity, as you've said, Pete, quite rightly, disappears if you don't grab it with both hands at the same time. You know, you mentioned Sam Lowe's at Aprilia. You know, uh, Scott Redding, another one that you could, you could say the same about. Scott Redding, should have been if it hadn't been for a little bit of poor luck back in the day he would have been moto 2 world champion you know he was right on the cusp of being moto 2 world champion um and now he's in world superbike and still it's jonathan ray by the way <laughs> not again <laughs> yeah <laughs> two weeks on the trot <laughs> <Sorry. that is. laughs> jonathan ray uh i love the speculation that's still out there for him to come and have a moto gp ride I can't see it. It doesn't make sense to me, I must say. But I would love to see him. Um, it would be beautiful. Because he has, again, we talked about this before, he has that analytical mind. He has that ability 
to do something extraordinary on a motorbike. And that's what MotoGP riders have to do. You know, it, it's not find that last, well, it is in the case of Alasia Spargo, maybe, but find that last inch of braking or whatever it might be. It's not just about biting the screen, gritting your teeth and sticking that one lap in. It's about working the entire race out. And I think Jonathan Ray is an absolute master of that in World Superbikes, which is why no one can get near him. doesn't matter if he's sixth place on the first lap. The way he works it out over the race distance, making sure he's got a tyre left towards the end of the, as well. My admiration of Jonathan is, is huge, and he gets all the accolades he deserves. Um, he's become a little bit more corporate nowadays. He's a little bit, oh, I hesitate to say the word boring, but that's what I mean. Um, he doesn't, he's a family man. He's of a certain age. He doesn't make mistakes in, in press conferences and stuff like that. I mean, when it all flared up between him and uh, Chaz Davis that time in Park Ferme at Assen, I wanted someone to hit somebody. That would have been real world superbike. <laughs> that would have been foggy and keely. Brilliant. And, uh, but it didn't happen, did it? Chaz Davis sort of swung his handbag and, and Jonathan fenced it off with some, with some very polite words and it never got to the fisticuffs it should have got to. Um, so uh, <laughs> we're missing a, a little bit of um, extraordinary personality, perhaps, in that situation as well, which uh, I think you talk about Casey Stoner. You know, he had as many people hate him as he had love him, but he was never short of a criticism for somebody. I mean, <laughs> your talent was outweighed by your ambition or, or your ambition outweighed your talent or something like that. Saying that to the likes of Valentino Rossi was a pretty brave yeah. move on camera live. <laughs> <laughs> to the rest of the world and there are a lot of people that went yeah there were a lot of people that went and gave him shit forevermore for saying such a thing um and, and but it was i mean at that particular point it was valentino's fault but anyway just confused. and the thing was valentino he saw it coming he knew casey was going to hang himself at one point at one point all the sympathy had gone with casey because valentino had knocked him off but the second casey went down to see valentino all the sympathy went back to valentino when he got that that insult from casey brilliant management by valentino pretty poor by casey because he, he he does say what he means and what he thinks all this which i love him confirms for. that uh you are the pot stirrer if given the chance i think uh <laughs> but it's all true that's what we like that, that, do you know what none of it's exaggerated it's all true it's all on record everybody's seen it anybody that's been there has seen it and and i love that i love that kind of personality in motorbike racing mm. you're not going to see it. i mean i i Again, present company, Harry, I know you're a very much a four-wheel man. Um, and, and, you know, we've just had the best Formula One race I've ever watched at the weekend. Um, but it does kind of lack that, you know, why didn't somebody go, why didn't Lando Norris get up and lump Bottas for knocking him off? You're, no, you're, you're absolutely right. But I tell you what has helped all of that, of course, is Netflix and Drive to Survive, which I know, yeah. I'm not sure it's Netflix, but I know it's some streaming company that are doing the same thing for MotoGP this year that we've seen the cameras in the paddock and the pit lane. So that could bring a whole new uh, platform and a whole new audience as well to MotoGP and bring out all of the stuff you're just saying there, because that stuff does happen when they're in the, when they're in the pen and they're chatting, they're trying to be as pr trained as possible aren't they of course they are they don't want to put a foot wrong because they're going to get something something in trouble but that you know we could you should get involved in that is what i'm thinking really <laughs> well i think i think that it's more allowed now since liberty took over yeah. i mean when when the, the dwarf had the the power 
uh, the problem he had in those days was that, that he had absolute power. He was a dictator. He is responsible for putting Formula One where it is now. So, I, you know, everyone should have huge respect. I mean, everyone's earning massive money out of Formula One purely and simply because of Bernie Eccleston. Um, but he had no real concept of social media, of, of the general public. I, I mean, he, he, would have, he would have had a race without anybody there if he could have done half the time. <laughs> um, the, the, the fact of the matter is now, you know, there are, you know, you watch Ted Kravitz. I'm not a, a particular fan of Ted Kravitz, but I love his notebook when he wanders around. One of my favorite ones was, was and, and this is how well-informed somebody like he is. And I, 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 you have to have respect for journalists that are doing their job properly. And he certainly was. When, when the cameraman that he works with, and basically the cameraman's got free range to do whatever he wants. And Ted's just talking, wandering around the paddock, picking up on bits and pieces for the, for the half an hour he's got. And my favorite one was when Alonso sat in the back. This is going back a couple of years now, as you will become evident. Um, the cameraman goes into the hospitality unit, picks up Alonso, with Valentino's ex and Ted Kravitz was right across it because Linda Morselli or whatever her surname was, I think it's Morselli, isn't it? Um, he picked up on her, sat with Alonso in the back of a, a back of a, right at the very back of a truck. And the cameraman got in on it and it was live. And I just, I love that kind of journalism, that stuff where it, it should be in the constitution of our motorsports to, to allow public access like that. Obviously not the very private stuff, obviously not the, the medical stuff, the crash stuff and all the rest of it, which I'm abhor, to be honest with you. I think it's terrible that we show people in pain and in trouble that we, we, we should come away from that straight away. And I think you're a strange kind of fellow or, or if, if, if you like seeing that kind of stuff. Um, but all the other stuff, all the gossip, all the, you call it pot stirring, but it's Love it. social interest. Yeah. It is about social interest. It's about being involved, a fan being involved, you know, seeing the stuff that they can never never get a pass to go and see and that's our job to bring that to them and being allowed to bring that to them um and unfortunately what we tend to get you know sometimes this bubble gets a little bit smaller and people get held out of it i mean there's a little bit of it in MotoGP at the moment i've got to say when it comes to written word um you know there's a lot of written journalists and photojournalists that are being crushed out of the system television now rules the world in the in the paddock it should have preference, pardon me for saying that, but I believe that it should because visual and verbal at the same time are, and, and many journos aren't even at the track. They're, they're writing off of what they see on TV. So it's, it's a case of and their interpretation is what they see and, and there's room for that as well. We've got a fantastic situation around all of our motorsport paddocks that, that needs relaying, it needs putting it out there. Where do the guys go for a drink? Where do they go, you know, even down to, you know, Ted's bit of the weekend where he went to show you where the cars were parked and what cars oh, I love that. I do. Yeah. I do. And I tell you, I watched it and I thought, do you know what? I've always wanted to do that. MotoGP, when bloody Ian One turns up in his Lamborghini, and or Lamborghini as my wife so calls it, um, turns up in his Lamborghini and, and you know, and you get another you know, couple of Ferraris or a couple of whatever it is and da di da di da di da it parked in the... Of course, MotoGP has an exclusive paddock for the MotoGP riders for their cars. You know, when you turn up in your, your theatre bath and you're at the back of the queue when it comes to bling, you know. And, and you know, Nay, on his, on his Aprilia contract, turns up in a Lamborghini yeah. or something. Um, and, and you go along and you read the, the dangly bits, the, the, the MotoGP riders parking paddock um, dangly bit around the mirror, if he's got a mirror, um, with their name on it to see who's driving what. I love all that. And, and I don't know why we don't see more of it. I think that 
sometimes I, I'm rambling again, but I do, you know that. I, I sometimes get annoyed with uh, with television when the presentation of the presenters seems to be more important than what they're presenting. That sometimes gets on my nerves a bit. I mean, and you do see that quite a lot. I'm not, I'm not saying that about MotoGP particularly. I'm talking about sports in general. When when the presenters become more important than what they're presenting, um, when they become the stars of the show, when they're not, you know, they're they're supposed to be bringing the very best of what they can glean from where they are and promoting the personalities and the, and the situation that they're in for all of us, for the fans. And I, I'm included in that now because I'm not in the paddock at the moment. So it's one of those situations where um, there's plenty of room for improvement in those areas. Can I finish on that? Or do you want no, me to you go can on? finish on that. You can, absolutely. <laughs> because... At the end of the day, sports, I firmly believe anyway, is an entertainment. And it's not just about what happens on track. It's the whole encompassing body of it. And we're getting more and more of that in the four-wheeled world and more and more of it in the two-wheeled world. In fact, you know, MotoGP is, in my opinion, more entertaining on track week in, week out than Formula One ever is. So that, you know, and that's just from from watching the first half of this season before the summer break, you know. So it's amazing what where the different bits of entertainment can come through. Speaking of entertainment though and we have already touched on this as well um and it sounds like keith you're firmly in the believe believing that this technical freeze will not be extended it will it will come to an end when it's supposed to at the end of this season of course it was brought in to uh, help the teams out because of the COVID-19 struggle and the potential financial impact and all of that it also filtered down to moto 2 and moto 3 where the whole motorcycle was frozen until 2022 whereas just in uh, MotoGP to maintain the fairness and and I suppose and I've got this on quote to maintain fairness and equality in order to conserve the entertainment value of the sport and integrity of the competition and that freeze is until 2022 so they're keeping the same engine as they had in 2020 so with that in mind surely if the freeze is lifted we're going to get a bit of disparity coming through again aren't we and is that going to ruin the entertainment factor that we're currently seeing i think that uh dorna Erta and the manufacturers association will manage this very well i don't it's not a case of suddenly it's going to be carte blanche do what you like chuck as much money out you like come out with a bloody 22 speed gearbox or something mm-hmm. ridiculous it will still be within the parameters of the rules of course um and that in itself limits hugely what you can do when it comes to motor three motor two i would imagine that they will limit um the the step forward um because you don't want it to be out of order you don't want it to suddenly be out of control they've got bigger issues to be dealing with anyway they've got to deal with the you know the the track limit situation the 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 rules for slipstreaming and so on and so forth or waiting for a tow or or, there's other things that they can deal with on that moto 2 it didn't really matter with moto 2 that they had a freeze because the triumph was a perfectly adequate motorbike as soon as they they'd finished doing their testing and that hit the streets if you like The, the 765 triumph the electronics, everything worked as a great package. It's been reliable, it's been fast, it's given us great entertainment. Um, so that box ticked. MotoGP is the one that's got to be managed, and that's where the, the Manufacturers Association come in because they all have to agree. It's not just a case that one can break away, you know, from this. It has to, at the end of the day, it has to be agreed across the Manufacturers Association where they go next. What are they going to be allowed to do? Uh, is there going to be what? What's going to get untangled from the freeze? Is it all going to be a free for all, or is it going to be a step by step management through the through the through the year? Yeah, what have people been working on back in the factories? You know, we 
I don't know. I, I mean, I've not heard a single whisper. You know, where is it coming from? Aero is obviously something that's still in its infancy in, in motorbikes, pretty much. There's probably going to be some aero achievements that, that people are going to be looking for. You know, I didn't ring up Danny Aldridge, um, technical director at Trackside, because you'll know why I'm ringing him to start with, because I haven't spoken to him for ages. And he's a good mate of mine. And it's always difficult when, when you know, you, you ring up your friend to try and get information about <laughs> his profession. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a pact I've had with Danny for many, many years. Um, you know, his dad, Colin Aldridge, was was a superstar around the paddocks and a great sponsor in his time around the paddocks. And we remember him very, very well, taken from us far too young um, with cancer. Um, but Danny Aldridge, as technical director, is a, is a, a very important part of the paddock um, for easing those transitions in rules um, through. I think they do a great job. But where is that coming from? Where is the next step technology-wise coming from? It will be there. You know, no one saw seamless gearboxes. A quote from one of the um, one of the top guys was, if we'd seen seamless gearboxes coming, we'd abandon them before they got here because the cost of them is so huge. And once Honda had done it, everybody had to find their way around a seamless gearbox. And they are magnificent. And they really are an enhancement for the road. You know, if you could ever get them cheap enough to put on a road bike. Um, so seamless gearboxes is what a production, what a prototype class is all about, is finding something that you can equate at a later stage to the road if it becomes cost effective. Um, but it's so unbelievably dear. Electronics, and went the other way on electronics, you know, we went back almost five, six, seven years worth of technology to, to come to the electronics package that we now have on MotoGP bikes. Honda had by far and away the most advanced, you know, ECU inertial platform electronics combination of any of the any of the manufacturers. And of course, when it when it became a spec um, unit, if you like, as, a, as an overall unit between the inertial platform and the ECU, the two brains on a motorbike. Um, once we got to that stage, you know, Honda's advantage was lost. And ever since then, Honda had a job taming that bloody thing. It's you know, it's the wildest motorbike out there because. They don't have that package. It'd be like flying, flying a, a super blackbird with cables or something. If you were thinking of a, you know, a stealth fighter, instead of it being fly by wire, you've got an old cable that goes to the back to steer it with. Um, you know, life became quite hard for a lot of people when those electronics were taken away. So I don't know. I, 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 I'm looking forward to next year. Well, aren't we all already? I mean, and I'm looking forward to hearing what those developments may be and what they may allow as developments come 2022. Well, Pete, I know you've got some strong thoughts on this as well because, you know, the racing is closer than ever right now. That's it. It's this, it's this balancing act of, of the technology and the entertainment, which, as you said earlier, you know, motorsport really now, it has to entertain to be successful. And, you know, have we really lost anything from the entertainment since having this technical freeze? I mean, the racing's been closer than ever. I don't think, you know, unseen developments inside the engine haven't, you know, we missed them. I mean, you you know, yeah, but your you, top you, speeds have gone up anyway. You've got to go forward, though. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to balance yeah. the two things. Yeah. Technology. So at the moment, we have this this kind of one season figure, don't we? Of, of the freeze is one season, and if it wasn't for the pandemic, that it would have remained like that. Now we've seen that 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 figure, if you like, has been extended over two seasons. And so does that then change the thinking? Um, we're seeing Moto3 looks like now they, they'll stop doing this one-year update. They'll go to maybe two seasons, 
three seasons with the same bike, um, principally to save costs. That's what it's, it's described as. So we're seeing already that maybe they're going, look, you know, the racing is close enough. We don't need to pump money into this. You know, certainly in the smaller classes. Now, the question is, you know, MotoGP is different. You have to have keep the manufacturers interested. They have to be able to develop. Um, at the same time, you have to be able to entertain. You don't want the top speeds going up and up and up. Um, you know, what the big thing we're expecting next year, as far as development, it will be the engines because they've been frozen for so long. Um, so, I mean, how much, you know, two years worth of development, how much quicker will these engines be? Uh, this is this is one question. I mean, you know, and, and how fast is too fast? And then what do you do? I think the really clever bit with the rules is this concession system. I think that the way that they kind of balance the performance and in in the sense of not giving the, the teams like Aprilia at the moment, they're not giving them performance. They're giving them the chance to work their way up, aren't they? They're not saying, well, your bike can be 20 kilograms lighter, you know, just instant speed. They're saying, well, you can develop your engine, but if you choose not to do anything, it won't go any quicker. You're going to have to put the work in and make your engine quicker. And I think it's really clever the way they've used that concession rule system. And maybe they can expand that instead of allowing the entire engine to be changed every year. Maybe if you're at the very front of the championship, you could change part of the engine. You know, who knows? Which is, which is what I was saying with the rules are the rules. You can't get around the rules. They're there. They're quite strict anyway, as long as it's not got batteries involved in it. <laughs> We've been there, done that. <laughs> well, it will be um, very interesting to see how that unfolds, actually, and also in, in Moto2 and Moto3. And uh, it is expected, of course, that will all be lifted uh, for next season, which we're all very excited for. But we've still got, we think... Quite a few races left of this season. Of course, we've mentioned the cancellations that have occurred in the last couple of weeks. But the good news is we're back. The summer break is coming to an end. It is now race week. That means it is time for Keith and his insider's guide. Keith, we're heading to Austria, the Red Bull Ring. The first ones, well, they're calling it the Styrian Grand Prix these days, aren't they? Uh, so what to expect at the Red Bull Ring for 2021, Keith? I go back a long way with the Osterreich ring, as oh, was. Man. You got Z, it, it was the Osterreich ring, it was Zeltweg, it was the A1 ring for a while. And then when Massastitch put the Red Bull money in it, which, by the way, is Thai, Pete. Did you know that, Red Bull? Oh. The, origi the, original, the original Red Bull is Thai. Um, I think the, it's still half-owned or something, isn't it? I think the offices in Soho Square are full of Thai wines and bits and pieces right. not that you drink the wine i have to say but anyway um it's uh it's it's slightly interesting from that point of view i suppose as an aside but the red bull ring massive money spent on it in a beautiful place well managed the best <laughs> from a media center not that i ever got there because it's the other side of the track and it's quite a long way away from the actual action but the media center itself is beautiful and the tunnel underneath and they 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 put pictures of all the superstars, you know, they change them from the car weekend to the bike weekend. All the little things, all the things that cost money get changed um, between the two. You're not stuck with it being a Formula One circuit that we're riding at or them, a MotoGP circuit that, that the Formula One cars go to. It is individual every time. Wonderful personality to the place. You know, when you're driving in, there's fuel. If you want to go, the big problem you have with the, uh, with the Red Bull Ring, Osterite Ring, which unfortunately is neutered a little bit because the Osterite Ring was a magnificent circuit with some really fast corners on it. Great racetrack, but super dangerous. Um, so it's had to be neutered a little bit to, to bring it back to where it is now. Very fast. Um, turn three was a problem last year for anybody that remembers that massive bomb site that was uh, 
you know, Valentino Rossi with a bike flying over his head and Morbidelli going down, Zarco clipping the pair of them. It was a, but they've, they've, they've not really done any extra work. I was, I was watching with interest a Formula One race from there the other week just to see what they've done with turn three. Um, and it looks like they've kind of just extended that barrier a little bit. So if somebody does go down the right-hand side of the track, they're going to be collected by a fairly large barrier. How you make any corner with the personality of that one safe is virtually impossible. You, there's many, many tracks where if you fall off on one corner and the bike picks up, it's going to go across another corner. That's worldwide. You're going to find tracks like that. Fixing it is virtually impossible. Um, but I think they've done the best they can. But getting back to the, the so-called insider side of it, beautiful part of the world, absolutely delightful where it is, easy to get to. Um, if you were at, at the check round the week before or something, or the week after, depending on how they got it scheduled in the past, you could get weekend to weekend, drive between the two tracks, fantastic drive as well. So if you, you were going for the, the check round or the, the Austrian rounds, stay out would be my advice to start with. Have your hire car, you can do deals on hire car for a week-long hire or whatever it is. Make sure you've got the right stickers on the windows, otherwise you get caught with a with a Czech car in Austria or an Austrian car in Czechoslovakia or, or Czech Republic, as it is obviously now. <laughs> I'm not going back much, am I? <laughs> <laughs> but the point being is you do need to make sure that you've got that trick covered, otherwise the police wait for the other side of the border and slap a fine on you straight away as soon as you get your, your hire car in the next country. Um, it's easy to do at the hire car desk. Um, Hotels are a problem there because I don't know how they do it with Formula One. I really don't because they go masses of people, but there are not many hotels nearby and certainly not many nice ones. If you are smart, you'll have booked one of them beautiful little chalets that are up on the hillside somewhere looking down over the valley uh, and, 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 and be living the life of Riley. That would be my advice. If you can book it five years in advance, well worth whatever you do. Local towns are really good fun, really good value. Uh, food's good. Beer is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I've got to tell you, it comes in the biggest mugs yeah. you've ever seen in your life. Um, so you can you take bigger T-shirts because you'll need them. You'll be putting on weight, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, the track itself, plenty of access everywhere. Great access roads. You can get all the way around the track. You can see a lot there. Uh, weather, it can be anywhere where it's as green as it is there. You know they have a lot of rain. Um, so you can be either way on this one. It can be flooding off the hillside or it can be absolutely baking your what's-its off. It can be really warm there as well. So you have to go prepared for, for, for all seasons, really, at, uh, at uh, the Red Bull Ring. Um, what do you look out for on track? Fast motorbikes, obviously. Um, again, I think Ducati, KTM are going to be looking good here. Suzuki, Yamaha, perhaps not so good. But the great thing about the uh, Red Bull Ring is there is opportunities for both motorbikes on different parts of the track. So you do get that mix up. You get the really fast stuff that, you know, is good for the really fast stuff. And then you get the bit coming around towards the end of the lap. Um, it cooks brakes there as well. Remember, um, Vinales went with the old style Brembo's. He liked the feel of the old style Brembo's better than the recommended by Brembo for the Red Bull ring. And therefore his front brake caliper, his disc exploded. It exceeded its temperature exploded into turn one on that uphill drag and if you remember he had to jump off the thing and the bike went straight you know i can't believe that motor was reusable they used that motor again i thought it would be just finished with swallowed everything there was around it because it was a, a bomb site where it where it went off um you've got track limits which is a major problem at uh, the red ball ring and it's going to be interesting to see how they manage track limits there as well i mean 
you know, Miguel Oliveira, huh, did he pick up a nice little win there, um, if you think about it. And that was a track limit situation as well. Lots of people running off here and running off there. Um, Moto2 was exactly the same. That, that, that run to the line can be really, really detrimental on that last lap if you run off onto the green stuff on the designated areas where it's designated that you may get an advantage from doing that. So track limits is a major issue too. Um, needing a tow because of the straight line speed there, Moto3 particularly, you've, you can find a second just by following someone. Wow. Uh, and that's, that's two thirds of the grid. You know, in a Moto3 race, so you 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 have got to find a toe in Moto3. There will be there will be so many rules being broken again this weekend and the weekend after, obviously because we've got two rounds there. Uh, but there's no choice. It, this is the conundrum we were talking slightly about earlier on in this conversation. Was that you know rules are a problem for Moto3. You know they've they've come up with all the draconian rules. Got to start from pit lane. It's been won from pit lane. We've already seen that with that bloody 16 year old that's doing as well as he is. He won the race from pit lane after being penalised to, to pit lane. And the same thing here at Red Bull Ring. You've got to take the risk because you can gain a whole second on those two major straights by getting a right toe. If you're geared right, pick up somebody or two bikes right down those straights, that will add to nearly a second off your, your lap time. And there's no rider or team in the world that can, well, can out, can't do with that. You need it. You've got to have it. You've got to work it out. Having said that, um, we've got to hope that the Moto3 grid can actually start telling the time so they can get their riders out before the checkered flag comes out at the end of the session. They don't seem to have actually got past that first hurdle of being able to tell the time. Um, once they get that sort of dynamic sorted, they should be all right. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting one to watch and picking up on you know the track limits thing as well, that's going to be another issue. Pete's actually just written a really good article, which is on Crash.net at the moment, looking at all the track limits. Uh, conundrums we've had so far this season i think it's probably the most polite way to put it um but pete it's going to be another thing to watch as well without giving your predictions away what are you going to be having a look at this weekend i think the really interesting thing this weekend is that last year we didn't get a complete race you know as keith has mentioned with the brake failure and, and the accident between zarko and morbidelli we had these sprint races we basically had four sprint races. Um, so we didn't get to see actually who you know, could run, for example, with full fuel, shall we say, if anyone would have been limited by the fuel capacity. You know, it's a hard acceleration circuit, a lot of straights. We don't know who would have struggled with the tire wear at the end of the race. Now, yeah, so it's, there's a lot sort of open, I think, more than some of the previous rounds that we went to last year. Um, we know the Ducati is going to go well here. You know, they... they Last year's um, win by Oliveira, that was the first time that someone other than a Ducati rider had won since, since the circuit came back on the calendar. Um, just going back to what Keith was saying about the tunnel under the track with all the posters, I mean, they're, they're, they're fantastic. And one of the things that sort of jumped out to me was that how the, the track has changed, as Keith was saying. And I think it used to go straight on at turn one, it looks like, yeah. and, and was a lot longer. Now... As you're also saying, the track doesn't look like it's going to be modified for this year, but it seems like there might be some sort of modification done to that sort of the area where Zarka and Morbidelli collided, maybe maybe in time for next year. Now, I don't know if it's going to maybe be similar to the sort of layout that they might have had previously. It, it looks quite incredible. I think it went carried on straight on and up and over the hill by the look of the posters anyway in the past. I mean, you know, Keith, Keith would know, but... Make be great if they could sort of make that a bit longer and um, you know make the circuit a bit longer. It is quite a short circuit, but as Keith said, that's great if you're a spectator. 
you can sit and because it is on a hillside see the whole thing. Um, you can see a lot of the track from one place you've got great wow. views that the media center is the best the best of the season uh, but, you know who cares about that apart from those that, that sit in it but you know it is a it, it's a great event and it's in a it's in a fantastic place you know the views are just incredible it really is one of the most uh, beautiful backdrops, isn't it, for uh, for a race? Uh, now, before I get you to give your predictions and me, uh, let's just see off a couple of uh, our lovely listener questions as well. We've had quite a few. I'm going to roll some over to the next show because uh, as we're in Austrian mode, we're going to pick up on the Austrian specific questions, I think. And uh, uh, Mayo 2016 has asked, what's your prediction result for Pedrosa and Crutchlow in Styria? I like that. I hate you, Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you already um, said you think top 10, didn't you, right at the start of this show for both of them? Yeah, top 10, but he's been a bit yeah. more specific than that, isn't he, Mayo? You, he'd expect nothing less, otherwise it would look like I've got splinters on my backside sat on Absolutely. the fence. You can't have that. Um, can't have anybody thinking that about me. Um, I think then, in that case, top uh, top 10 for Danny, top eight for Cal. Okay. No, actually, I'm going to modify that. <laughs> Cal crashes. <laughs> okay. All right, then. That's that's very specific. Pete? I, th- I think they're both, as well, between eighth and tenth, I think they, okay. they, okay. it's possible. Uh, I mean... It depends on how many retirements, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, certainly, I, I think that's, I wouldn't be shocked, let's say, by that kind of result. I think you've got to remember that they haven't raced for a long time. We, what about the weather? Are we going to have an interrupted weekend? You know, if they don't get many dry sessions and then they go into the race, because it's in the, in the hills, obviously, it's almost like you see the clouds come over and bang, you've got a rain cloud. As, uh, as Keith was saying, you know, all this green grass, it's green for a reason. There's a, there's a lot of uh, unpredictable weather around. So and, there's a lot of things that could happen. But I think, you know, that would be a realistic target. And that causes huge trouble for Michelin as well. You know, we're going to a track where it could be 45, 50 degrees track temperature or 10. You know, massive difference in, in, in yeah. track temperature or wet, of course. So, I mean, Michelin have got a hell of a job on for, for this weekend as well. Um, <laughs> and no testing been done there for ages. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting weekend. So, Mayo, um, we don't know is the answer. <laughs> the, that's the usual answer. Um, what about this one, though, from uh, MM93Fan? Uh, after the five-week break, how well is Mark going to perform? What are your predictions on him? How is he going to improve in this second half of the season? One thing you can be absolutely sure of, he will be improving. Mark Marquez is, is an animal. You know, he will be, you know, three or four weeks fitter. He's been out on a motocross bike. You know, it, it, he will be tuning himself. Um, it's going to be lively around this racetrack. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how much of the original Mark is back come these two rounds. The, the good thing about having two rounds back to back, I mean, you might think that the win of the first week is obviously going to be the win of the second week. Absolutely not. You look at the results and you can see that that doesn't work that way. I think Jack Miller was probably the most consistent last time out with a second and third um, of the two weeks, but the others were all over the hockey. A lot of that is down to what Pete's already said. They were were split race, sprint races and so on and so forth. Um, No, it's going to be tricky. 
I think what we've seen is that it's not Mark's performance is not just about Mark's fitness. I think that's what we thought it would be, but we've, we've realized and it's become apparent that there's a lot of work to be done on the bike. And I think that was maybe underestimated coming into this season. I think people thought with the two podiums by Alex at the end of last year, it was, well, if Alex as a rookie can finish on the podium, you know, Mark, when he's even 60, 70% fit, he'll be on the podium. But we've seen that, that the bike seems to have gone in a direction that certainly Mark didn't really want, it turns out. So That was always going to be the question, though, wasn't it? When other people rode his bike for that length of time or rode, you know, and, and developed it, we, we asked that question right from the get-go. How much would it be going towards the other riders' styles and away from Mark's? And, yeah, there's, there's got to be, or got to have been, a little bit of that involved in it, you would have thought. But, but certainly fitness-wise, you've, you've got to believe that he's, well, hopefully after this break, he'll be at a stage where he's not limited by his physical condition anywhere near is. as much. But he is. You can only see the way he's on a bike. He doesn't look right on a bike yet. Clearly that arm is in such a state that he can't position himself on the bike where he needs to, where he wants to. And it looks awkward. Um, and it depends on, you know, left or right handers as well. I mean, the, the, the guy is working his way through much bigger problems than people are giving him credit for, I think. I mean, I think he's, he's got a lot of work to do. You're right about his fitness. His overall fitness, I don't think, is that far away. But I think mechanically, he's still not right. You know, when he sits on a motorbike, he's, he ain't like he was. Will he ever? I mean, the, the change during the summer break for his fitness is that he, we've seen he's back on you know, doing dirt track, which he obviously loves. And, 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 you know, he's been on the CBR 600, I think as well. So just, did you see that? <laughs> did you see those clips? Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> put, him, put him in a super sport 600. He hasn't been putting his feet up. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> Made me step back from the screen when I watched it. <laughs> well, uh, it is not long to go until we get to have a proper answer to all of these questions um, and all that's left really to do as we've uh, hit over an hour now it's back to the predictions gentlemen um, Pete I'm going to let you go first this time who's your winner for the Styrian Grand Prix I mean you know it's such a if you were to look at it on paper, as we say, we have four sprint races, and Keith's already highlighted this. The only guy that was in the top three, in all four, if you like, was Jack Miller. So I think if you're going to look at that, you know, on paper, I think, I think on that basis, let's say, that he was consistently up there, and he's on a Ducati, which, which helps him out there. I know that the KTM is quick this year, and KTM won last year, but... Yeah, I think I'll, I'll go with Jack on that on that basis. Let's say that um, you know he's now with the factory team and he's won two races already. I think it's the perfect place for him to to kind of revive his season after a couple of maybe races that disappointed him a bit just at the end, acid and things like that. So yeah, I'll go with Jack. I couldn't agree more. So while I try and find someone else to predict, uh, Keith, who's your choice? Because of tire management, the way he rides a motorbike, and I'm guessing it's going to be warm there it's going to be longer races than last year i'm going zarko miller quattararo zarko miller quattararo i think zarko is um he's sweet on tires be interesting to see what he's got left at the end of the race okay so that's my top if you three. get the top three i'll give you a bonus point if you get if you get the full three <laughs> as well 
Um, okay, so we've got Miller, Zarco. I'm going to go. Now, I know it wasn't a straightforward win last time, but they're looking very good this year. He's looking particularly good. And I'm hoping that um, confidence is key as well uh, around Austria. So I'm going to go with Miguel Oliveira as uh, my uh, winner for uh, come Sunday for the Styrian Grand Prix. So uh, we've got three different ones there, which is... Uh, well, which is always how it is, because otherwise this game wouldn't work. But um, <laughs> but Keith's thrown in a top It's not three. a game, it's not Harry. A game. It's not a game. It's serious. Deadly, deadly serious. <laughs> and don't forget, I've still got a whole long list of all of our, not just ours, but all of our listeners' top three championship predictions as well. So when it gets to the crucial points, there's going to be some name calling, I think, come the end of this season as well to find out who was way off and who was spot on. Um, okay, so Pete Miller. Keith, Zarco, Miller, Quattararo, and I have gone Oliveira. Well, we shall wait and see what happens. It all kicks off, of course, on Friday and the race on Sunday. We will then return with you same time uh, next week, every Tuesday, for more MotoGP chat on Crash.net. But you can, of course, keep up to date with all the very latest uh, across this week and this weekend on the website. Any questions, send them in all the usual ways as well. Leave them in the comments section or tweet, Instagram, Facebook us. Just search crash moto gp and leave us uh, leave us a review uh, wherever you get your podcasts as well and uh, we shall see you right back here next week keith pete many thanks as always see you next time hi this is craig robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from invesco qqq the official etf of the ncaa invesco qqq is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.